So let us pray. Father, we love you this morning. I thank you for this reading of your word. Where David says, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. He begins it by saying, blessed be the God, my rock. And Lord, we thank you this morning. That in the midst of cultural shifts and cultural insanity that we see as we look at the news or scan our social media feeds or just observing out in the streets, Lord, we see chaos. We see a world that has rejected you, rejected God, rejected truth. But Lord, we thank you there for us as believers that you are our rock that means that you are a strong foundation that you are steady that you are stable that you are faithful that you are immovable that you are immutable you do not change Lord David says that you are our loving kindness and our fortress our high tower and our deliverer our shield and the one to whom we take refuge Lord you are all these things to your people you're all these things who to those who belong to you in faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you are our loving kindness, meaning you are good to us. You are our fortress, which means you are the one who protects us. You are our strong high tower. You are our deliverer. You deliver us out of the bondage of sin, the tyranny of sin, the hopelessness of sin and Lord you're our, you're our shield we can take refuge and shelter in you we can go to you father in time of need and you will not turn us away you, we can go to you anytime Lord 3 4 o'clock in the morning when we are we are sleepless and call out to you father and you always hear us and because of this Lord you are the one in whom we take refuge and Lord, though you are high in the heavens, David asked, what is man that you take knowledge of him or the son of man that you are mindful of him? Lord, man is like a breath. Our days are like a passing shadow. And Lord, sometimes we need to be humble to understand our state as fallen man that our lives are transient. We are here today and gone tomorrow our life is like a vapor like a breath a a passing shadow you you see it and then the next thing you know you look again and it's gone and lord our life is that way meaning our life is is so frail it's not that it's meaningless it's that our life is so frail that we need to consider that but lord even though in the frailty of life you still look after us you're still mindful of us. You still have ordained us to live to your glory. You still have called us to worship you and to enjoy you forever. No matter how many days we have on this earth, Lord, you have called us to a higher purpose. And that is to worship you and to glorify you in all that we do. Lord, help us to see that purpose that you have given us our purpose Lord is not to go viral on social media our purpose Lord is not to 
mutilate our bodies to try to be something that we can't be. Our purpose, Lord, is not to live a life of rebellion against you in any way. Lord, our purpose is to look to you, to not to look into ourselves in self-worship or not even in self-pity. But Lord, our purpose is to look to you, the one and only God, the only true God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the only creator and sustainer of all of creation. The sovereign God who rules and reigns over all and does whatever pleases him. Father, you are the one we are to look to. You are the one in whom we are to find our purpose and meaning. And Lord, that has been revealed in your word in Holy Scripture. In the God breathed word of God. That is where we find our purpose, Lord. That is where we find our meaning. And Lord, I pray this for all of us who hear this and all the all who hear this in the sound of my voice. That we look to you for our purpose. That we look to you as the only source of divine truth. Lord, we pray for our uh, leaders in authority from the White House down to our local city halls and county commissions. Lord, that you give them a heart and a mind to follow after you, to repent and turn to you and believe, to believe the gospel, to believe in the one true God and that will govern, that will rather dictate how they govern. We pray for all the earthly administrations, Lord, that they legislate in a way that brings glory to you. That they propose legislation, Lord, that that its results will bring you glory. To bring you honor and praise. We pray for all of our leaders, Lord. We pray for our law enforcement and first responders that you you be with them. That you protect them as they help to protect us and to serve us serve our communities Lord we also pray for our local churches sound men sound churches for Grace Fellowship and Redeemer and ABC and Christian Fellowship and Mountain View and Iron City First Baptist Lineville First Baptist Jacksonville and other like minded brothers and churches Lord that you be with all of us men this morning as we as we lead our churches and shepherd the flock of God help us to do it well help us to do it to your glory help us to do it with the strength that only the spirit of God will supply Lord help us to be faithful in our call as pastors and elders of your church and Lord I pray for all of our congregants that come and gather that as we hear the truth that we apply it to our lives that we go out into this world preaching the gospel proclaiming your truth living out the gospel truths that that the pastors and preachers labor over each Sunday each Lord's Day strengthen us in the faith strengthen all of our congregations in the faith and Lord as we look to this word as we get into this new book I'm excited, excited about it as we get into the book of Ephesians. I pray, Father, that you be with me and be with us. 
As we study this text this morning, Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 3. Fill me with your spirit, Lord, to preach and teach this text well to your glory in a way that is pleasing to you. And Lord, send your spirit to illuminate the truths that we will hear this morning from you. Lord, may we hear from heaven what the spirit of the Lord has to say to the church. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. Let us turn to Ephesians. We're beginning a new sermon series. We just finished Galatians uh, last Sunday after being in it for about, I think, three, four months. And one of the mega things in Galatians was one true gospel, only one gospel. And uh, Ephesians deals with our identity in Christ, who we are, who we are in Christ. And in light of who we are, how are we to then live? That is one of the mega themes of Ephesians. Who are you? What is your identity? Who do you find your identity in? That is what we're looking at with Paul's letter to the Ephesian Christians. I think I, uh, we still have copies of the calendar out there if anyone needs them. So you can know what we're going to be doing each Sunday. We're going to spend some good time in this, I think, uh, all the way until the uh, middle part of the month of August. Or maybe longer, we will see. But this morning, we're going to treat the first uh, three verses. But just for context, I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. And in the Greek text, verses 3 through 14 are actually one long sentence. Uh, is, is basically a uh, point of adoration or sort of a doxology that, that Paul gives in praise to God for what he has done for us uh, through Christ and in Christ. So in the, in the Greek text, verses 3 through 14 are one long sentence with no uh, periods. You know, even language back then didn't have periods and commas and exclamation points and, and all that anyway. But, of course, translators put it in so they could be easily understood in English. But the original Greek text, verses 3 through 14, are one sentence, and we can't uh, even imagine that with our uh, English ears and English eyes. So we're going to go ahead and read here. I'm going to read the first 14 verses, but our focus is going to be verses 1 through 3. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version translation, uh, otherwise known as the ESV. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. And, and, and I'm going to just say this right quick as we're reading. I think I sent a text message out about this. Pay attention to in Christ, in him. Through him, through Christ, in him. All the references to those prepositions. 
So he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the power of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in our wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory so that's paul's introduction to this letter if you notice the references to in him to him through him through christ in christ paul attributes everything that the believer has to christ to christ so just as a short introduction here, i want to do a couple of things First, understanding the mega theme, one of the mega themes of Ephesians is, again, our identity in Christ. People in the world have an identity crisis. Because of their depravity, because of their rejection of God. People have allowed their sin and rebellion to define who they are. You have people who walk around proud of their rebellion. They have pride in their sin. They have pride in their sexual immorality. They have pride in their drug abuse or drug use. You hear it in rap songs about taking Percocet and drinking lean and, and, and all these different things. They, they're showing pride in, in doing drugs, smoking blunts and all those things. You hear it in music. You hear, hear people flaunting their, their sexual choices because they're taking pride in their sin because they have rejected God as believers however sin may explain some of our activity but it is not our identity our identity is in Christ and because of the new identity that we have as Christians by God's grace through the Holy Spirit's power a person can change their sinful activity a person can be changed to have a right identity and a right outlook on themselves and as I was praying earlier in the pastoral prayer a right view of purpose that God has for them and because a Christian is a new person in Christ we live a new life by the power of the spirit we have a new identity 
we take on with that identity a new outlook. The fact is that our thinking and how we act are based on our short-sighted focus on our own personal limitations and our own identity. Carl Truman, he's a uh, Christian professor at a Christian college. He wrote a, a great book called The Rise of the Modern Self. This is a very, uh, very good book. It talks about our culture's obsession with self. And those of us who are honest with ourselves, we see the worship of self everywhere. It is pervasive. But his book is called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And this is something that uh, Rod Dreher, who's also a, uh, a, a brother, he said this in the foreword to the book. He says, in his 1983 Templeton Prize address, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he was a, a Russian author and philosopher, he offered his, this summary explanation for why all the horrors of Soviet communism came to pass. Solzhenitsyn said, men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. He said this at his address in 1983. And what Solzhenitsyn did was during the communist revolution that started in 1917 in Russia and continued until uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, the wall was torn down uh, in 1989. But during the time of Stalin's rule in Russia, over 20 million of his own people were killed. He killed over 20 million of his own people in the communist revolution. And some of what Stalin did was sent those who dissented against his rule to the uh, to Siberia to the um, gulags. Gulags are basically concentration camps up in northern Russia and Siberia, and they, they they were sent to work camps where they basically worked themselves to death. And Solzhenitsyn wrote a book called the Gulag Archipelago. Archipelago is a a piece of land that sticks out from a mainland and he wrote a book about that and he talked about uh, the effects of communism and communism Marxism and all those worldviews as we talked about are anti-God worldviews they're secular worldviews they reject the Christian worldview and one thing that Solzhenitsyn said in his book was this is what happens when you forget God and what we see in our culture with the identity crisis that people have is that man has forgotten God. And always remember this. If you don't worship God, you're going to worship something. There's no such thing as worshiping nothing. Everybody is religious. You know, people think about religion, they think about like a, a building and all those things. A religion is in essence a system of beliefs that you build your life on. Everyone has a religious worldview. It is according to who you worship. If you worship God, your religious beliefs are informed by scripture and are formed around the person of Jesus Christ. If you don't worship God, all bets are off. You're going to worship yourself. You're going to worship your identity. You're going to worship your political ideology. You're going to worship celebrities. 
You're going to worship certain movies and nostalgia. You're going to worship any and everything else but the one true God. And when people do that, they lose their identity in who God made them to be. So Carl Truman said this in his introduction. I'm going to read it right quick. Just bear with me. He says, why this book? He says, the origins of this book lie in my curiosity about how and why a particular statement has come to be regarded as coherent and meaningful. In other words, how this statement actually makes sense. I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. My grandfather died in 1994, less than 30 years ago, and yet had he ever heard that sentence uttered in his presence, I have little doubt that he would have burst out laughing and considered it a piece of incoherent gibberish. And yet today it is a sentence that many in our society regard as not only meaningful, but so significant that to deny it or question it in some way is to reveal oneself as stupid, immoral, a bigot, or subject to yet another irrational phobia. And those who think of it as meaningful and are not restricted to the veterans of college seminars on queer theory or French post-structuralism. They are ordinary people with little or no direct knowledge of the critical philosophies whose advocates swagger along the corridor of our most hallowed centers of learning. In other words, he's saying that these, the institutions of college are where all these things are being taught. He says, and yet that sentence carries with it a world of assumptions. It touches on the connection between the mind and the body, given the priority it grants to the inner conviction over biological reality. It separates gender from sex, given that it drives a wedge between chromosomes and how society defines being a man or a woman. He says, at the heart of this book lies a basic conviction. The so-called sexual revolution of the last 60 years culminating in his latest triumph, the normalization of transgenderism, cannot be properly understood until it is set within the context of a much broader transformation in how society understands the nature of human beings. The sexual revolution is as much a symptom as it is the cause of the culture that now surrounds us everywhere we look from sitcoms to Congress. He says, in, in short, the sexual revolution is simply one manifestation of the larger revolution of the self that has taken place in Western civilization. And it is only as we come to understand that wider context that we can truly understand the dynamics of the sexual politics that now dominate our culture. Where did this all begin? Man has forgotten God. When we forget God, when we forget who we are, who God created us to be, we begin to pursue our identity in everything else but God. And when we do that, the result is chaos. Like one of our church members said in Bible study one night, is either Christ or chaos. There's no, many people try to find a gray area, but there's no gray area. It's either who you are in Christ, who you are as God created you to be, who you are as God made you to be, or chaos. And what do we see in our culture with people struggling with their identity? We see chaos. 
And if we're honest about it, we know that it's chaotic. We know that it brings chaos. It doesn't only bring chaos in society, but it brings chaos in those people who have those struggles. It brings chaos in their life. It brings chaos in their minds. It brings chaos in their families. Why? I've always said this. When you try to build a world while at the same time denying the God who created it, it cannot work because it won't work. It can't work. It won't work because it can't work because you're trying to build a world while denying the God who made the world. God made the world to order. Uh, God ordered the world to work a certain way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, not man. <laughs> okay. Let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he made them male and female. He created them Genesis 1 26 27 that is where we find our identity as image bearers of God but along the way man lost that so what Paul does here is he's talking to believers he's showing the believers who they are in Christ who they're called to be who he was called to be and that's the setup for these first Three verses. God wants us to view ourselves as he views us as believers totally incorporated into Christ who is right now seated at the right hand of God. God wants us to see him how he sees us not how we want to be seen. Y'all get that? God wants us to see him how he sees us not how we want people to see us. Because the way we want people to see us is, is, is tainted with sin. Because what? Guess what? We're sinners. <laughs> and if you're not in Christ, you're governed by your sin. You're ruled by your flesh. We talked about the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. Those who are not in Christ, they're governed by their flesh. They can't help it because they're not in Christ. They don't have the imputed, imputed righteousness of Christ on them. So guess what? They're going to live like they're not in Christ. So as we preach through this message this morning and the subsequent ones to come, we want to look at our identity as being in Christ. As we read those first 14 verses again in Christ, his glory, his will, his purpose, his grace. All these things, it is all who? Christ in him he predestined us he works all things according to his will to the praise of his glory it is not about our glory it is not about us newsflash Dr. Menace uh, down at French Christian School used to tell his students this all the time and they got offended he said you're not special but guess what he's right we're not special. We think we are, don't we? I think I'm special. I think I'm a great guy. I think I have a fantastic personality. I do. I like to make people laugh. I think I'm so special, but guess what? I'm not. I'm a sinner. 
no matter how special I am, I need a savior. That's what he, he, he meant when he said that. My salvation is not in me being special. My salvation is in the fact that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. That I have a soul that I have to give an account for. That I have to stand before a holy and righteous God one day and give an account for my life. And I can't go up to God and say, Lord, you should let me into heaven because everybody said I'm special. Amen. Big idea. What's the big idea of this message right here? As believers, since God has totally blessed us in Christ, he deserves our blessings. So let's dive into our text here. I got two main principles this morning. We're going to read again the first three verses. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with their spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So we're going to look at the first two verses in the first principle. Who is it that God has called us to be? First, Paul introduces himself. He introduces his calling and authority. Now, if you look at this, you'll see that Paul didn't even point to himself. He says, Paul, an apostle of. Of means belonging to. That's what that preposition means. That means from, of or from. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he's saying that he had every right and obligation to address them with authority and to provide instructions because he had apostolic authority. John MacArthur said the apostolic duties were to preach the gospel, uh, to teach and to pray, uh, to work miracles, to build up other leaders of the church, and to write the word of God. Let me ask you this one question. Do these so-called apostles in our day write scripture? You got a lot of people who want to be, they call themselves apostles, and then their, their parishioners address them as apostle. Like that's their first name. Hey, apostle. Hey, apostle. Hey, apostle. They're not apostles. They're false. They are false. They are not true apostles. The office of apostle died out in the apostolic age. With the apostle John after he died, he was the oldest of all the uh, disciples. After he died, the office of apostle ceased. There are no apostles today. They're not writing scripture. We're not reading their words as holy inspired scripture by God. The scripture, the Canaan is closed. No one is adding to it. They're not working miracles. Paul was a true apostle. The apostles were the foundation of the church. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. These apostles were messengers of the gospel. One of the other qualifications for apostles is that they had to see the risen Christ. And J. Vernon McGee, in his uh, commentary on uh, Ephesians, says this. He says, he answers the question, what is an apostle? He says, it is the highest office the church has ever had. <clears throat> he says, no one today is an apostle. And this book was written in 1974. No one today is an apostle in the church for the simple reason that they cannot meet the requirements of the apostle. 
Here are the requirements. Number one, they must be, they must receive their commission directly from the living lips of Jesus. Now, Paul met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, as it is uh, written in Acts, the ninth chapter. The apostles saw the Savior after his resurrection. Paul met that requirement. And the other apostles, of course, they saw Christ at the resurrection. And Paul saw the resurrected Christ in heaven because the, the, the Bible says that uh, he saw the Lord Christ. And the apostles exercised special inspiration. They expounded and wrote scripture. And of course, Paul measured to that because he wrote 13 books of the Bible. And exercise supreme authority, which these little apostles don't do at all. And then also the badge of their authority was to work miracles. And they were given universal commission to found churches. All the churches that Paul wrote to, he founded. The church at Galatia, the church at Ephesus, the church at Colossae, the church in Thessalonica, the church at Corinth. And also he commissioned those elders, uh, uh, one of them being Titus and also Timothy. So Paul met the requirements for apostles. So he was qualified to call himself an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. These fake apostles uh, that we see running around here in Calhoun County are not apostles. You tell their church members, your, pa your pastor's not an apostle. He's not even a pastor if he's calling himself one. That may pick a fight with somebody. But he's also an apostle by the will of God. Again, it wasn't him who chose to be an apostle. When Paul was on the Damascus road, he was on his way to persecute other Christians. And then that light shone from heaven. And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it was the Lord Jesus speaking to him. And God told him to go back. Paul was an apostle by the will of God. He didn't appoint himself. Paul was deeply con conscious that God had overruled his life. That it was the will of God to call him to be an apostle. It was God who called him. It was God who gave him his missionary call. So Paul knew his identity and he let it be known to the Ephesians. And then the second part of this first verse. We'll look at two words here. He says to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Anyone who is connected to Jesus by faith in his death and resurrection is a saint. God's saints are saints. Ordinary people who love Jesus. Saints of God don't walk around with halos over their heads. We don't have an aura around us when we're you know, I tell friends sometimes I, I, I see some of these so-called apostles like out in Sam's or Walmart and you see them, they just look like regular people. They don't have like an aura around them. Like, oh, let me get, you know, like they got some type of glory uh, around them. But, but people treat them like that. 
But as saints of God, we're just ordinary people. Ordinary doesn't mean a bad, bad thing. If you are a Christian this morning, you are a saint. And saint doesn't mean perfect. By being in Christ, our past, present, and future sins were taken away by the death of Christ in exchange for his perfection and his holiness and his righteousness. We're saints because of what Christ has done, not because of what we do. And Paul, when you look at his letters, he often addressed his readers as saints or holy people. You look at Romans 1 and 1, and you'll see that. You look at 1 Corinthians 1 and 1, you'll see that. You look at 2 Corinthians 1 and 1, you'll see that. Philippians 1 and 1, Colossians 1 and 2. You will see Paul addressing the people of God as saints. And this word harkens back to Israel being called out as God's uh, people. God's holy people. God called Israel out of all the nations of the world. God called Israel out to be his holy people. God had chosen them out of the people of the earth and set them apart to belong to himself. And that's what it means to be a saint. A saint means to be called out. When God saves us, he calls us out from this sinful world. He calls us to be separate from this sinful world. He calls us apart unto himself. And the church is now the new covenant community of believers. David Hoke said, don't be misled by the mistaken idea that sainthood is something which can only be conferred upon certain dead people by some ecclesiastical body. And he's talking about the Catholic Church. According to God's word, all believers are already saints. From God's perspective, we are saints not because of who men say we are, but because of what Christ did for us. We're not holy because of our own good works or righteousness. Again, we talked in the beginning about identity. As Christians, you are saints your identity is found in what God says about you not what people say about you not because of what men say you are are you going to feel like a saint of course not because your your Christianity your standing with God is not based on how you feel because in that case you'll feel saved and justified one day and another day you'll feel condemned Although the Bible says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Your standing with God as a saint has nothing to do with what you've done. Do we always act like saints? No. But that doesn't mean that we're not saints. That we're not God's chosen people. That we're not God's special people. It's not based on how we feel. At all. God's people are holy because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. In other words, the, the righteousness of Christ that has been put on us or credited to our sin account. It is because of Christ's righteousness. Credited to us. That we're holy. We're both declared holy, which is positional sanctification. And we're called to a lifestyle of holiness, which is progressive sanctification. 
excuse me, so that's two types of sanctification again. We have positional sanctification where our position, a declaration made by God that when he saves you, you're sanctified. That's where the word saint comes from. The word sanctified comes from the word saint. Same Greek roots. So we are positionally sanctified when we're saved. We're already made clean. We're already set apart. And then since we are sanctified, we live sanctified, which is progressive sanctification. John MacArthur in his book, The Vanishing uh, Conscience, answered this question. What is sanctification? How does it work? He said the word sanctified in scripture comes from the Greek and Hebrew words that mean set apart. To be sanctified is to be set apart from sin. At conversion, all believers are disengaged from sin's bondage, released from sin's captivity, set apart unto God or sanctified. Yet the process of separation from sin is only begun at that moment. As we grow in Christ, we become more separated from sin and more consecrated to God. Thus, the sanctification that occurs at conversion only initiates a lifelong process whereby we are set apart more and more from sin and brought more and more into conformity with Christ, separated from sin and separated unto God. So this is the life of a saint. This is how it looks to be a saint. As we grow and mature in the Lord, we increasingly separate ourselves from a life of sin. A true believer, uh, mark this down, a true saint does not live in sin. A true saint does not live in sin. Do we sin? Yes. But we don't live in sin. We don't practice sin. We struggle against sin, but we don't practice it. We don't make sin the course of our life. Our life is not marked by a life of constant, unrepentant sin. That is not the life of a true believer. If a person says that, they're lying. Because they're calling God a lie. When we're sanctified, we're set apart. And John MacArthur says this, I think this is real good. Maturing Christians never become self-justifying, smug, or satisfied with their progress. They do not pursue self-esteem. They seek instead to deal with their sin. That's what I was just saying. And the more we become like Christ, the more sensitive we are to the remaining corruptions of the flesh. As we mature in godliness and sanctification, our sins become more painful and more obvious to ourselves. The more we put away sin, the more we notice sinful tendencies that still need to be put away. This is the paradox of sanctification. The holier we become, the more frustrated we are by the stubborn remnants of our sin. That's how progressive sanctification looks. The longer we walk with the Lord, the more we become like Christ and the more we hate our sin. The more we hate when we sin and we don't go to condemning ourselves, we confess those sins and repent of them. So our identity as a saint means that we progress in our sainthood or in our sanctification. We mature in the Lord. We love the Lord more and we also at the same time hate sin more. 
A saint never loves sin. A saint loathes their sin. The saint is like, why in the world did I do that? The saint doesn't say, oh, I love this. This feels so good. I really enjoy this. No, the saint hates. So he's writing to the saints. And also the faithful in Christ Jesus. The faithful are the saints. One is the antecedent of the other. Uh, a saint is faithful. What do you mean he's not faithful? In, uh, I'll explain what I mean. This refers not so much to our lives of faithfulness, but more so to our spiritual faith in Jesus Christ. So the faithful are those who are in Christ. In other words, they're set apart for God on the basis of their faith responds to the Son, Jesus Christ. Because of their commitment to Christ, because of their loyalty and love to Christ, they're committed to the spiritual mandates and ethical mandates that we have in Christ. That means that we're faithful in our lifestyle as a result of being of the faithful. So when Paul's talking about the faithful, he's talking about the saints, those who are in Christ. And always remember, friends, our faith has an object. The object of our faith is who? Jesus Christ. We don't have faith in faith. <laughs> you can't have faith. You know, people say, keep the faith. What do they mean by keep the faith? Keep the faith in who? In what? Our faith has an object. And the object is a person. And that person is Christ. John Stott, the great uh, late uh, Anglican preacher and theologian said, to be in Christ, because he's talking, Paul talking about the faithful uh, in Christ Jesus. He says to be in Christ is to be personally and vitally united to Christ as branches are to the vine and members to the body and thereby also to Christ's people. He says it is impossible to be part of the body without being related to both the head and its members. So to be in Christ means to be part of the body of Christ, the body of believers. All of us are connected together. We are gathered as believers around one head and that's Christ. That's what makes us in Christ. One of the central themes of Ephesians is in Christ. Our salvation is found in Christ. Everything is in Christ. This section, as we just read, verses uh, that I read in the beginning, verses 3 through 15, are saturated with in Christ. Just as a recap. The faithful in Christ Jesus, verse 1. Our spiritual blessings are in Christ, verse 3. He chose us in him, verse 4. The glory of his grace, 
accepted in the beloved, in the beloved is in Christ. Uh, verse 6. In him we have redemption. The riches of his grace. Verse 7. The mystery of his will. Set forth in Christ. Verse 9. To unite all things in him. Verse 10. In him we obtain an inheritance to the purpose of him. According to the counsel of his will. Verse 11. The praise of his glory. Verse 12. In him we also trusted. In whom also we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 13. So you see this whole section is about Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what we have as believers in Christ. Why would you want what the world has to offer as for an identity? All that the world offers is rubbish. It's trash. It's meaningless. It is nothing. It leads to nothing. Why do you think so many people, especially in this nation, the United States is the most prescribed drug nation in the world we live in the wealthiest nation on the face of this earth but yet we have the most people on antipsychotic drugs we have more people popping pills in this nation than any other nation in the world but yet we're the wealthiest nation people live growing up in other nations wanting to come here why this is the land of promise and opportunity they come legally and illegally but they want to be here for a reason if not people will be leaving the United States but guess what they're coming here but yet what are they coming to a nation of people who have a false identity. A nation of people who have an identity crisis. Christians, we ought to tell people, there is a better way. Come to Christ and you will find your true identity as one of his chosen people. And the blessings that come with that. And no, it's not about material blessings. Material blessings are good to have. We all work, right? If we can, if, if not, we're retired and we're receiving some type of income. I don't think any of us want to live on zero dollars. But we all have material possessions. It's nothing inherently sinful in those things. But take an honest assessment do those things truly satisfy you? In the middle of the night, when you can't get sleep, you go to your material possession called a phone because you're, you can't go back to sleep. You go on social media, you scroll Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or Watch TikTok videos because you can't get sleep. Why? Because you're looking to that God 
of social media to salve that hurting in your soul instead of looking to your God instead of looking to the creator you're looking to the things of this world and what do they do nothing they lull you into nothingness and it's wash, rinse, and repeat. Why am I feeling so, why am I, what, what's going on? I just can't shake it. You're finding your identity in someone else other than the Lord. Christian, you are a saint of God. You are chosen by God. You are one of his special people. That gives us all the meaning in the world. We should want people to have what we have. People that we know are struggling with who they are. We know they are. We know people. I know people. They're searching in all the wrong places for their identity. It keeps failing. It keeps failing. It keeps failing. It's going to fail because it cannot work. We as saints of God, as the faithful in Jesus Christ, guess what? We have the cure for their illness, for their sin-sick soul. And it is turned to Jesus. He will save you. He will bring you and adopt you as one of his sons. And you will be in the greatest family ever a family of other believers who are united in Christ too we will love you we will shepherd you we will encourage you we will pray for you we will help you grow in your identity in Christ what greater community is it than that to be in Christ there's no greater community amen and then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is part of our identity also. We are recipients of God's grace and God's peace. These are the two great heritage of, heritages rather, of the Christian faith, grace and peace. These are the two things that we as believers always have, no matter what our circumstances are. Grace is all of God's power, all of his love, all of his beauty that is freely available to all of his children. It wraps all that God has, all that God is, into one package and offers it to us. That is how the grace of God looks. It is loving. It is pleasant. The grace of God encourages us, spurs us on to good works. It is something that is pleasing. Something that is charming. It's something that has a 
a loveliness to it, the grace of God does. And guess what? It is given to us. And what is the peace that we have? The peace is not an absence of conflict or the absence of drama. Peace is a product of our reconciliation with God through Christ. We are reconciled to God. And because of that, we have the peace that comes from that. Romans 5 and 1, Paul says this. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the peace that Paul is talking about that we have as believers is that we're not at conflict with God. We're not enemies of God. We're not under the wrath of God. These characteristics mark us at all times. The grace of God is always at work in our life. And the peace of God gives us a sense of security and trust in God. That God is not angry at the believer. Because of who we are in Christ, what do we do now? We give God our blessing. So this leads to our second principle. What is it that God calls us to do? We know who we are. We're saints. We're the faithful in Christ. Because God has called us as saints and faithful in him, he deserves our praise. So this leads us to verse 3. God deserves our blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, bless, the word blessed means to speak well of. That's where we get our, uh, the, the, the Greek word uh, eulogy. A eulogy like at a funeral, eulogy means to speak well of. That's what the word literally means. To eulogize someone means to, to speak well of them. So when you say the word blessed, blessed means the same thing. So it says blessed be to God. It means speak well of God. Think of how much God gets cursed rather than praise in our culture. Think of our own thought life. How many grumblings and complainings come to our mind? Think of how we feel as a parent when one of our children expresses their appreciation. We feel good when they do that, don't they? When our children express appreciation without us even doing anything for them. Guess what? Our Heavenly Father does for us as believers he's called us to be what saints and what are we ought to do with that bless him bless be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ John MacArthur said nothing is more appropriate for God's people than to bless him for his great goodness in all things whether pain struggle trials frustration opposition or adversity we ought to praise God because he is good in the midst of it all. Do I need to read that sentence again? I think so. In all things, saints, the faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether pain, who feels pain in their body, physical pain, emotional pain, struggle, who's struggling, who's having trials, 
Who's frustrated? Who's encountering opposition because of your faith? Or who's experiencing adversity? We are to praise God because he is good in the midst of it all. It is for that reason that we praise and bless him, MacArthur continues. When we bless God, we speak good of him. When God blesses us, he communicates good to us. We bless him with words. He blesses us with deeds. So that's what it means to bless God. We praise God because he has called us out to be saints. When we say bless be or praise be, it asks God basically to receive the blessing of praise of his people for all he has done for them. Now, this is not an exchange of us blessing God and, and God blessing us. This is not like that prosperity, those prosperity preachers that say that when praises go up, blessings come down. No, that's not biblical. I'm sorry. I know church days rock that song back in the day. When the praises of God are going up and the blessings come down. No, that is not biblical, people. <laughs> okay. We praise God because he's blessed us, not in order for him to bless us. Let's get that right, right? God doesn't need human praise. He doesn't. He doesn't need our praise. We desperately need God's blessing. But God doesn't need our praise. He's not there, oh, I wish they would praise me. No, the Bible says, oh, if my people would praise the Lord. We need God's blessing. It's not the other way around. So he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why do we praise him? Because he says here, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We bless God because he's blessed us. Every spiritual blessing. What does it mean spiritual? Spiritual in the sense that these are the blessings of grace, the blessings of divine order, as John MacArthur said, belonging to the sphere of immediate relations between God and man. God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings, those things that are in, in accord with the spirit of God. Grant Osborne asked, asked the, answered the question, what makes these blessings spiritual? He says, these blessings are spiritual because they come to us on the spiritual plane and because they come through the spirit of God in the sense of Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, where God told Ezekiel, I will put a new spirit in you and put my spirit in you. So these blessings come to us through the Holy Spirit. And spiritual blessings, Matthew Henry says this, spiritual blessings are the best blessings with which God blesses us and for which we are to bless him. He blesses us by bestowing such things upon us as make us really blessed. We cannot bless God again, but we can bless him by praising and by magnifying and by speaking well of him on that account. Those whom God blesses with some, he blesses with all 
spiritual blessings. It is not so with temporal blessings. Some are favored with health and not with riches. Some with riches and not with health. But where God blesses with spiritual blessings, he blesses with all. So these blessings are not the temporal blessings of this, this world that he blesses us with. He blesses with those things that matter most, those things that are eternal. Those things that will go with us into glory. Those are the blessings that matter most and those are the blessings for which we praise God for. He's blessed with us with all spiritual blessings. And where are these riches? In the heavenly places. These blessings have their orientation in heaven. The spiritual realm that is our true home. Do y'all know saints that heaven is our true home? That this earth is not our true home? In this world, Peter says, it's 1 Peter 1 and 1, we are foreigners and exiles. Now, I don't mean that we don't take our abode here and proclaim the gospel, but our attachment is not with this present world. I always remember this axiom. I always say it. For the unbeliever, this world is the best that it gets for them. For the saint, this world is the worst that it gets because it gets better on the other side it's much sweeter there's no sin no sin in heaven no ravages of sin in heaven we will be with Christ forever so these blessings come from the heavenly places in Christ we belong to a new family we belong to a new country we are citizens of a new world. And that's where our spiritual blessings come from. They don't come from this corrupt earth. They come from the heavenly places in Christ. They are in Christ. They are through Christ. They are by Christ. And they are for Christ. And where is Christ now? Seated at the right hand of God. In the heavenly places. And he will ultimately in the end. Have all things subject to him. When he comes back. He's going to have all things subject to him. So that's why it matters. All that God has performed is in Christ. And I'm going to say this in conclusion. I, I wrote this right here. At the end of the day, Paul's concept of being in Christ is so central to a thriving and victorious life that it should go without saying that its neglect by modern day Christians and preachers is a driving reason behind the struggles of many Christians today. Many Christians don't know their identity in Christ and how important it is to embrace who they are in Christ. It is my hope that as we study Ephesians and what I have to say about our identity in Christ, the wonderful freedom found in fully understanding and believing in faith, the truth of our identity in Christ will be yours and mine. My goal is for us to understand this. I also hope that moving forward in your new identity, you will find lasting victory over the idolatry that this world offers. That is my hope. 
that we know who we are in Christ and what we have because of that. A few questions as we uh, look at the application. These are just questions to think about. How do these verses help convey a sense of purpose for your life? Just something to think about. As a believer, you are a saint. You have a purpose. You're the faithful in Christ. You have all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. How does this reality affect your sense of purpose? You know how I many people walk around feeling purposeless? They're burnt out from their jobs. They're frustrated. They're tired of their kids. They're tired of their jobs, their co-workers. They're tired of the grind. They're tired of the wash, rinse, repeat life. They're exhausted. They're worn out. Even in the midst of that, friends, you still have a purpose. Your purpose is not found in your job. It's not found in your children or your marriage or your friendships or your likes on social media. Your purpose is found in who you are in God through Christ. Next question. To what extent are we completely submitted to the will of God for our lives? What is our will? To live as saints. We're saints of God by the will of God. In what ways have we specifically blessed God? Our Savior this past week. How do we thank, thank God for what we have in Christ? There's something to think about. It's not making there a law where there is no law. But those things should be on our minds sometimes. Lord, thank you for calling me out. Honestly, I don't know where it would be if God didn't save me. I know it wouldn't be right here. Man, I was woof. I thank God he saved me, that he called me out as one of his own. I was not headed in the right place, people. I wasn't. I thank God that he called me. He cleaned me up. He justified me. He sanctified me. It wasn't because of anything I did. Because I wasn't thinking about God. How do we bless God? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just something to think about. Are we too weighed down with the responsibilities and burdens of this physical world? What does that do? It chokes the effectiveness of the word of God. It, it chokes the effectiveness of who we are in Christ. It doesn't take it away because, you know, once we're called as saints, we're, we're saints. It doesn't take away who we are, but the effectiveness of that call is, 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 is hampered. Because the responsibilities and burdens of this physical world. Sometimes we carry them with us instead of doing what? Taking them to the Lord. You know that song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we ought to do what? Forfeit. We have peace when we take it to him, but we forfeit it when we don't take it to him. 
Oh, what needless what? Pains we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. That's the life of a saint. We don't try to grind it out. No, we confess our sins to one another. We ask each other for prayer. And we also take our cares to the one who called us. That's your identity in Christ. That is what a saint does. We don't try to be like the world and medicate it. Now, if it's something clinical, that's different. I'm not talking about that. What does the, the world do? The world medicates. Everything is pathologized. And they never take it to the Lord. They take it to the pill. They take it to the drugs. They take it to the self-harm. They take it to social media, which is the worst place to take it. Because you get all these people who don't even know you or pay attention to you in your comments. Praying, praying, praying. Where were they before? <laughs> what the saints are here for us. Amen. And the Lord is here for us. Let us pray. Father, you deserve all of our praise. We thank you. Lord, my sincere prayer is that we as believers fully understand and believe in faith the truth of our identity as saints as the faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ Lord our world is filled with people we, we are people in our own lives family members friends loved ones co-workers who are searching far and wide high and low for a sense of identity a sense of who they are Lord we know who you called us to be we know who you called us to be you didn't call us to be rebels you didn't call us to be rebellious and living in sinful rebellion Lord you called us to be holy you called us to be saints and many people are running away from that call and seeking that identity in the world to their destruction Lord I pray that you use this message to call people back to you call those who are living in rebellion unto yourself and Lord I also pray that you encourage the saints encourage the faithful to look to you for our identity because Lord after all we are saints in the Lord Jesus Christ we are faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ as we walk out today May we walk out knowing that we are called out by you. We are saints. We are the sanctified. We are the holy ones. We are the set apart ones. May our identity, Lord, be firmly planted in who you have called us to be, not what people or even ourselves think that we are. In Christ's name I pray, amen.